All right, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. As we continue going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, we'll be in verses 25 through 29. I was doing 25 through 32, but I, I, we'd be here a long time if I went all the way to 32, so we're going to stop at 29 today. Hope you had a good week. I did. Had two good things happen this week. Uh, you know, I hurt my knee severely on the football field when I got run into by one of the players. And so I've been, went through stem cell treatment, and this week, I didn't even realize it, but my knees don't hurt anymore. I was thinking they were going to do major surgery, so I even think I could jump off this and it not hurt, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but boy, for those of you who know that sometimes when you get older, there are a lot of pains, it feels so good to have no pain. So uh, we'll see how well I moved today. The other good thing that happened is cost me a bunch of attacks against me by my own family. I bought a pickup this week. <laughs> and I couldn't get my Toyota Tacoma because they could not deliver it. They kept delaying me and telling me stuff that turned out not to be true. And over and over, I've been waiting for several weeks. So I called friends in San Antonio who have dealerships. I said, I need a pickup. I'm midsize. I don't want a big one. I want it new. It's got, and I, I said, it has to be new because it has to have those seats that have heaters in them or my wife won't ride with me anymore and so they told me in San Antonio we can't get you anything I said you can't get me a canyon or a Colorado nope they're none available so I've been all over Dallas Fort Worth looking for a pickup I finally found one and I bought it I texted pictures to my sons and my grandsons and I caused a fury they tell me I have lost my man card so I'm even afraid to tell you what I bought bought a Honda Ridgeline <laughs> but I love it my son said dad do you not even care about your reputation <laughs> I said son I'll be 70 here soon I could care less if it works and it's paid for I'm happy and it works and it's paid for so you young ones if you can learn to pay cash for new cars it is great I've just about my second or third time to do this. I wish I'd have done it when I was younger, except I was too poor to be able to do that. But anyway, it's been a good week. On another sense, it's been a tough week. I got a phone call late Monday night. A friend of mine who's a retired colonel, he's mayor of the city of Castroville, calls says, Steve, I need prayer for my daughter and for my grandson. Those of you know what happened in Nashville, his daughter was in the room next door to where some of the kids were killed. They were able to get to safety just ahead of the shooter. His grandson just barely missed seeing the shooter, didn't even realize was walking away when everything started going bad. He says, Steve, just pray for us. And I did this young lady. She's not a young lady anymore, but I did her wedding many years ago in San Antonio. So ever so often, these things strike close to home. And so knowing that what went there, knowing about the pastor and his daughter and how tragic that was along with the others, the principal, I could see doing that because we had a school for 30 years and we practiced this all the time. It's a shame you have to do that, but we practice it. And even when you practice, it, it helps some, but sometimes it doesn't. And so you just pray for them. We're in a tough day today in our country. And this has been a crazy, crazy week politically and just morally the whole nine yards. I don't think it's become a more difficult day since I've been alive. And I think there's no greater call than us to live in Christ like we've never lived before. 
And there has never been a need more for truth today than there is right now. And the only way truth is going to be told is, and you'll see this in just a moment in the sermon, is that you and I have to be willing to stand for that which is good and righteous and, and holy and call that because that's God's standards. And in reality, it's for the entire chapter next week. So we'll go through the entire chapter of the 15th, and you know why I'm picking that one. If you don't, you need to go back and learn why I'm picking that one. But it's on the resurrection and on how it unfolded and the impact and influence. And the last verse is where we're going to key next Sunday on what impact it should have on you and I as we live our lives. All right, let's get into the message this morning. You know, Paul told the church at Corinth this, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We looked at that over the last couple weeks. We saw that the old self's gone. The new self is there. Guys, do not underestimate how important this is that we're new creations. Now, as I get into this passage today, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I began to see this about 10 years ago in a way I'd never seen it before. And it came in a strange roundabout way. You know, one of the things that a pastor has to do all the time is he has to counsel when, when marriages get into struggles. And I would deal with it a little bit. I would never do long-term counseling, but I'd do short-term counseling. And if I couldn't do, have an impact, I would send them to a couple of professionals that I fully trusted that gave good biblical advice. And, and if you're going to counsel somebody in, a, in, in marriage, where are you going to take them? Well, most of the time, you're going to take them to Ephesians 5, the love and respect section. Men, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And women, you're to show respect for your husband. As, as the church shows respect towards Christ. And those are great principles. And I, I, the, there was a book years ago that we give out to every couple, whether they were getting married or whether they were struggling, called Love and Respect. It was a very powerful seminar on marriage that was around for several years. But one of the things I would watch develop, I'd have them sitting there, and things would not be good, and they'd be some tempers and words said and hurt and everything else had been going on. And I would get, sit there and walk them through this, and I would get them to agree, love and respect. I'd get that. I'd say, okay, now when you go home now, let's put this into practice. Well, then I'd find out shortly there, late, within a day or two or three, they'd get home and things were good for about an hour or two. And then somebody did something, triggered somebody's reaction, triggered another one before long during a knockdown, dragout fight, and everything we just talked about a few hours earlier failed. Now, I don't know about you, but in my job, I want to be successful at what I'm doing. I want to have an impact. I want to help. And it's not working. I, I sat one day in my office all day long. Truth works. W what am I missing? Well, what I suddenly begin to realize, that's why you, you don't just pick verses out and hold on to them. You keep them in context. It's very important you stay in context. So Paul's been walking us through a procedure and what it dawned on me was, I can't save a marriage when there's no character in really right, whether it be a marriage, raising children, or anything else. This is a call of how you and I are to live, is what this passage is about to tell us. And it is very important. And, you know, I was raised in the day, if you just went to church, you know, I've been Baptist since I was five days old. I guess I was Baptist for that, because mom and dad were Baptists. So I've been a Baptist my whole life. And I just thought, once you shake the preacher's hand, show up for church on Sunday, sat in the through the sermon as best you could, and you went home, then that's all you had to worry about. It didn't matter what you did the rest of the week. That is not true. If Christ is in us, and we are a part of who he is, 
and it should profoundly impact how you and I live our lives each day. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read verses 25 through 29. These are four commands. This is the first time we got into commands now. These are the ethical things that you and I, this is, should be in every one of your lives. You will struggle in all of these areas, but this is where we've been called to walk. And here's what it says. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who is stealing must stop. Steal no longer. But he must work. He must labor. He must toil, performing with his own hands what is good. So he'll have something to share with anyone that has a need when a need is raised. And then, last one, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So it will give grace to those who hear you. This is really where Christianity on a daily basis is at. Father, speak to us in a very clear way today. There will be a struggle areas for all of us in here. But these are what you've cut today. Teach us what we need to learn and correct us where we need to be corrected. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want you to keep in mind what I started with. We're a new creation. We're a new creation. We have a new heart. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the one who loved us and who gave himself for us. So if Christ is now in us, living through us, then there ought to be a difference that will be seen and felt by everyone around us. And so the, what's the first command? I'm fascinated that the first command to believers is stop lying. Stop lying and speak truth. Stop lying and speak truth. Now Jesus was very clear when he said one day, the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. So what comes out of your mouth is a demonstration of what your heart is like. Some of you may be a little struggling there because sometimes what comes out of your mouth is not good at all. But if we now have a, no longer a hard heart, but a new heart in Christ, then it should be reflected in the words that come out of our mouth. And the one thing that's going to happen is we're going to stop lying. Now, why is that there? Well, Jesus was really hitting the Pharisees hard one day whenever he looked at them and says, you're of your father, the devil. You remember that in John 8. He's very strong, said, you're of your father, the devil, and you'd want to do the desires of, of their father. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in truth, because there's absolutely no truth in him. And whenever he speaks, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. So I'm just here to remind us, he was our father too one time. We were influenced by him. Most of the world lives and never quite telling the truth the way it ought to be, always twisted in some shape, form, or fashion. And for lost people, their reality is, their nature is to lie. In fact, if I go to Revelations 22 and I look at those who are outside the gate of Jerusalem in the new heaven and new earth, who's there? The ones who love and practice lying. 
So the first command given to you is you will not be deceitful. You will not speak in a way that's taken. See, that's what kills marriages. It's one thing getting dawned on me is they're lying back and forth to each other and they're accusing things of things from a perspective that was really not good. So what are we supposed to do? We're commanded to speak truth. But let me say this. He's already said something in Ephesians 4.15 that is crucial. Speak truth in love. Listen, I've known people in church, they speak truth, but they're out to hurt you. They're out to stab you in the back. They feel it's their God-honored thing to come at you and just nail you to the wall with what they've got to say. Then you're not, in, you're not walking in Christ when you do that. We speak truth in love, patience, and kindness. In fact, don't think I put it in here. I may have it a little bit later. But how the words come out of your mouth are very critical. If you're a wise person, there's a proverb that just popped in my head. A soft tongue breaks bones. Take your tongue, take it out, and beat your arm with it. You're not going to hurt yourself. You're not even going to notice. Probably you even do it. This thing is so soft. But it says a soft tongue breaks bones. Why? Carefully spoken words. A gentle answer, Proverbs says, turns away wrath. How you speak is so critical and important, it's stunning. I will tell you that years ago, back in 2013, when I was on television, Fox and Friends and Fox, and then on radio, I was on CNN, I did all the kind of stuff defending the, the military against Obama's policies uh, uh, on marriage and on homosexuality and trying to protect our soldiers who were losing their jobs because of their biblically held views that they would have that when I would get on the radio or television and speak, I was always very careful in every word I said. Why? Well, unbeknownst to anybody out there that would have been watching me on television or hearing me on the radio, and it really came to me when my brother was driving through Oklahoma City where he lives, that he called me later and says, what are you doing on the radio? I said, what? He says, you're on the radio here in Oklahoma City. So I didn't know that, but I, okay. Well, he didn't know what I was going through at the time, and so I was filling him in. But my cousin in San Antonio, who I celebrate birthdays with, I have dinner with occasionally, was gay. He's a gay activist. He and I totally disagree on this. He's on this side, I'm on this side. But when I stood on television and defended a biblical view of marriage, I wanted to do it in such a way that when Daryl heard what I said, I did not hurt him with hurtful words. There's a way to speak truth. And you and I are called to, when we do speak truth, we speak it in such a careful way. And when you do that, people are more likely to hear. If you come at me in anger and attack me, you might be right, but I am not going to listen. Why? I go in self-protection mode when I have somebody come at me too hard. We all do that. And we immediately get to want to be defensive. When I was in high school, I was second-string quarterback, and we were having spring practice. I didn't have my helmet on. I was just taking snaps, turning around, handing off. We were in shoulder pads, but we were in shorts. It was spring practice, so five minutes, the coaches would throw the ball on the ground. I had to dive on it over and over and over and over. I could hardly even get up at the end of the five minutes of just one after the other after the other. So I dove quick to get it. When I did, I hit the helmet of one of the players on the other side who was wearing his helmet, and I ended up with a black eye for six months. I will warn you, if you walk up to me today and go like this, to this side of my face, I'll probably hit you. So don't do that. 
It's a defensive mechanism. I got hit so hard by that. I had a black eye for so long. But you know, you can laugh at it, but all of us are the same way. If somebody comes at us, even if they're speaking the truth, but they're doing it wrong. So what Paul says here is with this. Stop living on lies. Stop telling lies. Now, speak the truth. That means speaking biblical truth, morally good truth, who Jesus is. And may I remind you, truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. It's a person of Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And in the culture in which you and I now live in, we need people who have the courage to be able to stand up and say, this is truth. But do it in a way that demonstrates love and patience. Will it be easy? No. My neighbor came across the street to look at my new truck. He was not ashamed of my new truck, so he came over and wanted to see what it looked like. And so we were sitting there talking. He says, this was some th- Thursday afternoon. He said, it happened Thursday, but it was on Friday we're talking. He said, I had a bad week. He said, after the shooting, the, everybody at Lowe's was talking about the shooting and everybody said it was the Christian school's fault at work. He said, I had a choice. Do I stand there quietly or do I put my two cents in? He put his two cents in and Chet's a good guy. I really like him a lot. But they attacked him. They called him a hater. These are people he works with, but he just stood there and he said, I just kept saying, guys, here's the truth. They even talk nowadays. They're afraid to really say anything, but they're not afraid to call you a liar. I know saying this may not make your life easier. That's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. We don't tell lies. We speak truth. Second thing, as a new creation, get your anger under control. Get your anger. In your anger, do not sin. This is one of the most difficult things I've seen being a pastor all of my life, is what anger does. Anger is destructive beyond imagination. Now, I know anger is not a sin. It's an emotional reaction to something that's going on. But how you and I use anger, 99.9% of the time, is sin. And it is wrong. Uh, Moses warned the people in Deuteronomy that when they're disobedient, they face the anger of God. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. Would you say he was angry when he was turning the tables over in the temple? I would say he was very upset with the people. You're making this place a den of thieves. It's a house of prayer. What Paul's doing here is he's quoting Psalms 4.4. Do you know what Psalms 4 is about? Sometimes you've got to know the rest of the context of why. Why would Paul pull this out of Psalms 4? Well, the problem in Psalms 4 was that David is being maliciously slandered and lied about. Maliciously slandered and lied about. Maliciously slandered and lied about. How do you react when you're maliciously slandered or lied about? Most people can't handle it. Most people won't last. And I tell you what, if you can't, don't get in national news because they will nail you to the wall and they will attack you in ways you can't even fathom and write articles about you like you you don't ever want to see in the press. The psalmist's reputation, it wasn't his person that was being attacked, it was his reputation. And what does he do? Psalms 4.4, English Standard Version, be angry, but don't sin. Yeah, you, can, you have a right to be angry when you're being maliciously attacked, but you do not have the right to act wrong. Let me ask a question. If Christ is in us, 
Did he ever act wrong when he was, might have been angry or was maliciously being slandered? How much more maliciously slandered could you get than when he's hanging on the cross? And yet, what does he do on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks down at his mom and John and says, John, take care of her. and um, uh, Mary, this is going to be the son who will watch over you, that type of thing. He turned to a thief on the cross who had maliciously been slandering him the whole time. Suddenly, he has a change of heart on the cross. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And at the very end, instead of calling angels down to destroy everything that was going on with the hatred, he said, it is finished. To tell us die. It is, I paid the price. And he accomplished everything that the Father wanted done. So you and I are to keep our anger under control. And in Psalms 4, it says, be angry and do not sin and ponder in your own heart on your bed and be silent. Before you ever overreact, stop and think. Did not God give us a brain to be able to use? Most people, when they lose it, their brain goes out the window and their mouth now has no control on it whatsoever and they say things. And I want you to know stuff. Things said in anger, you say something in anger at me, I will forgive you. But I'll walk on eggshells around you from now on because I don't want to be hit like that again. The best thing to do is not do it. Keep anger under control. Let me remind you of something. James 1.20 The anger of man never achieves the righteousness of God. The anger of man never achieves the righteousness of God. Let me tell a story that could have cost me my ministry. I'm at Live Oak First Baptist Church. I'm Minister of Education and Youth. I've been there about two or three years. I have been accepting a doctoral program, and I'm working on my doctorate. I am writing my final paper, which is about 500 pages, and it's on anger. Church conflict. I've essentially called my doctorate how to help church members fight more effectively among themselves. That's very facetiously said. Well, here I am at my desk being studious, being a scholar, for whatever that meant, trying to get finished with my doctorate. And the mail comes, and the secretary drops my mail on my desk and it opened it up, and one of the ladies in church had written me one of the most hateful letters I've ever gotten in my life. Now, what I had done wrong to deserve such a letter was she wanted Jan and I to go to a marriage conference. She loved it. She thought it would be the greatest thing in the world, and it was during the summer. <clears throat> well, the problem with that was I'm youth director. And youth directors, I'm looking for our, you know, where I don't see him, but wherever you're at, I'm somewhere, okay, I see fingers pointed. You don't get a life in the summer. You have no free time in the summer. You got camps, and you got this, and you got that. Second of all, we have three small children, and we have no babysitters. Nobody really would ever volunteer to babysit three little ones under the age of five, and so there had no babysitters. And then the big reason was, as youth director, and there was no way I could go. And she got angry that I had rejected going to that, and she shredded me. She, she called me every name in the book. And so I did the very mature thing that you do at that moment. I picked up the phone and called her to tell her she was a jerk. Now, this is in 1983. We had no call waiting. We really didn't have many answering machines. 
no caller ID. And the phone rang about six or seven times. She was at work. I'd forgotten that because when you're angry and out of control, you don't think. So I hung up. And as I'm sitting there steaming at this audacity of this woman to send such a cowardly response to me. I mean, I really got this down good. I am not at fault. She's totally at fault. I looked down at my Bible, which was open working on conflict management. And I looked at Proverbs 29:11, right there underlined in my Bible to use. Anybody know what it says? A fool always loses his temper. A wise man holds it back. And I realized that day that I was the biggest fool that I'd ever could have imagined. What she did wasn't good. And you know how I solved this? Her husband came a couple days later in the office just to pick up something. I said, Don, come here a minute. What have I done to hurt your wife? And I showed him the letter. He said, oh, Steve, I am so glad that call never went through that day. I am still close friends with them to this day. But if I had acted wrong and said what I was thinking that day, it would have cost me my job. I'd have lost respect of everybody in the congregation because they all would have known what I did. I am so thankful that God opened my eyes to be able to see that truth and mainly keeping her at work that day so I wouldn't have to make that phone call. I will tell you, do I get upset? Yeah, things bother me. Things hurt. But in my anger, I've learned not to sin. Now watch how something will happen today and I may blow this one. <laughs> About the time you say never, something goes wrong. You know that. But this is important. Let me give you the shortest anger management course ever. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on anger management. People do that. I've had people in my church go through anger management and then blow it apart. I'm going, well, you wasted that money. Proverbs 14, 29. Mark it down. He who is slow to anger has something nobody else has. He who is slow to anger, I'm putting underlines here. He who is slow to anger has what? Great understanding. Great understanding. My wife's aunt hated men. She had reason for it in her young life. She never married. She would tell everybody, I'm an old maid. I loved once, I never, and, and, and I lost, I never loved again. And she literally, that was true. And when I met Jan, I've already told you that we dated for two weeks and got engaged. We were very much mature at that age, so we were able to do that. But she hated me for taking Jan away from Fort Worth because my job took us around the state. And she attacked me on so many occasions. It wasn't even funny, but it's Jan's aunt, so I just let it go. When my son was born, the last one, I went to call my kids to tell them they had a brother. I had two at the time, Stephanie, the oldest, and Mark was the youngest. And Stephanie especially wanted a sister. We already knew it was a brother. But she wanted a sister. She already had a brother. Why would she need two? She wanted a sister. It made good logical sense. The phone was busy the whole time. I called everybody else. I'd call back. It'd be busy, busy. Well, I came out, and I saw Jan's mom sitting there. I said, well, I got to hold everybody. I couldn't get a hold of the kids. The phone was busy the whole time. And so I said, well, I'm going to go check on Jan. And I was going back into surgery. She had had a C-section. And about that time, Jan's aunt walked up. I said, well, just so you know, I, I got to hold everybody. Couldn't get a hold of the kids. She said, well, you don't need to. I said, why? I said, well, I did. 
And I looked at her and said, you shouldn't have done that. She looked at me and said, I did it. And what are you going to do about it? That is the closest I've ever come to hitting somebody since football in high school. I'm serious, guys. I'm not joking now. I was that upset. I was that upset. The next day, I tried to have a sit-down conversation with her, and she called me every name. It didn't work. I got called every name in the book. She stormed out of the house. She didn't speak to me for a couple years. It never bothered her. It bothered me because I'm a preacher. We're supposed to be able to handle this kind of stuff, and I'm not. But one day, I got a call from her boss, Alexander, Alexander. uh, He said, this Steve? I said, yeah. He said, oh, Dee Dee talks about you all the time. I'm thinking, I bet she does. We ended up having an hour-long conversation, and he gave me details of her life and her background that I never knew. And when I, under, when I heard that, do you know I never got mad again? How did I go from being upset, awful, easy with her, to not ever get mad? Because I understood what happened to her. It didn't make it right how she would do, but I just didn't get I understand this verse now. You and I need, that's why it's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger in James. Quick to listen. Get un- understanding takes away your anger. And then to know something else. A fool's anger is always known at once, and a hot-tempered man abounds in sin. I, I'm going to wrap this down. And I may not even get through the four today. We may stretch this one out because these four things are very important. Who was the most humble man on the earth in the Old Testament? Moses. Right? Okay, what does humility mean? I consider other people more important myself. How well did he do at that? Stunningly well when you look at how he was treated and how he responded. But he got to the end. And he's at the end, Numbers 20, verse 3. The people contended with Moses and they spoke. This is towards the end. This is at the end after 40 years. We wish we'd have died with our brothers back in the wilderness because you got us with no water again. And they're coming at and this is a political attack. They're coming at him hard. He's 120 years old, long past retirement age, and he's still working. So you remember what he did? He walked over to a rock, which he had done before, and he struck the rock. But then he struck it again. The water came out, and the people had what they needed. So when he struck it twice, what was going on? Well, the people, as I've already said, were contending with Moses. If we wish we'd perish with our brothers. But what else had happened besides the people contending with him and arguing with him? His sister had just died. Miriam had just died. You want a tough day. I've always found that in your toughest days, somebody will come after you. Satan will do something because you're weaker, a little weaker at that moment. But Moses... He just kind of, at that moment, this great, great man, ah, and he took that stick and he hit it twice. Do you know what cost him the promised land? Forty years of walking humbly with God and among the people, but he could not go. You know why? Because God said in your overreaction, in doing what you did, you proved you didn't believe me at that moment. And two, you did not treat me holy in the sight of everyone else. See, why you and I are to speak truth but do it in love, get our anger under control is, as we started a couple of weeks ago, we are the body of Christ. 
We're individual members and we have one purpose in life. That's to build the body of Christ. And we need to make it as safe as possible for all of us around. So we walk in, we're able to do that. And if we learn to do it here, we need to also do it in our families. Probably it needs to be done in our families in the culture we live in more than it's ever been needed any other time in our lives. So there's no place for anger. Uh, I'm going to kick one more. The next one is stop stealing. This is to believers. This is not to unbelievers. This is to believers. Stop stealing. Work hard with our hands. I'm going to hit this one real quick. Verse 28 says, He who is stealing, stop stealing. Don't do it anymore. You have no right to anyone else's possession. It's evil to take something from someone else. But as a new creation, what we are to do is do what? Labor with our hands. What does the word labor mean? Toil, become weary, to work hard, to get tired. There's nothing wrong with being worn out from working hard it is the most important thing you and i can accomplish in life that we give our very best always even if it drains us of everything we got that's what god's called us to do paul told the church i labored and i strive because i have a hope fixed on the lord jesus christ so i'm not looking for a handout from you guys i don't want a handout from my government i don't want any kind i need to go make my own and I'll tell you what, I, I always thought being a preacher, as poor as Jan and I were for about the first 20 years, that retirement would be very, very difficult. I came from, I was counting on all that money I was going to get. I'd figure between the two of them, Jan and I would be worth about a million in cash along with everything else. We didn't get it. It didn't happen. All my plans early never happened. Dad needed his money. He spent it. It was his. It wasn't mine. I kind of quietly counted on it. I never told him that, but I was kind of quietly counting on it. Jan's aunt went to a nursing home. We had to pay for private care, and it took every penny she ever had. So I gave Jan a check for $250 at the end, and it only took her a day to buy a pair of boots, and it was gone. <laughs> but it was not, it's not my responsibility to have everybody take care of me. And we live in a day that everybody thinks everybody's supposed to be taken care of by the government or by somebody else in the family, or they just go into stores and steal whatever they want. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as new creations, we're not counting on anybody taking care of us but ourselves, and we work hard. Now, I'm skipping a lot of stuff here, but may I say something else? Why are we to work hard? So we can have the new truck. I've got to be careful because I just bought one. No, you don't want you to work hard so you can share when you see somebody in need. Greatest thing you and I can do is it's more blessed to give than to receive. You and I are not to take handouts, but we're to work hard and put away some. And when you and I see things, we can help. We do that. And I tell you what, I've learned over the years, there's no greater joy than that. I do miss being a pastor for this reason. This was our church's heart and soul, and I gave away so much money, it wasn't even funny. My last two years, I gave away three-quarters of a million dollars. I'm serious. I gave away three-quarters of a million dollars that people would put in my hand and say, Preacher, if you can you use this? I said, well, I can put it here. I can put it there. Do it. And there I get to be kind of like a Santa Claus and give it away. You work hard. And I'm just going to hit the last one. The last one is, watch your words. I've said that, but now he says it again. Don't say hurtful things, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Unwholesome, I'm looking fast at my notes. I'm not seeing it, but it means, it means uh, rotten. That's it. That's what I want. It means to be rotten. What comes out of your mouth? Christ in us. What comes out of our mouth should be a reflection of Christ within us. So nothing bad towards anyone. 
In fact, what we're to do, and I'm, I'm moving fast here, we are to edify, edify. You know what that word means? Building a house. It means construction. Here's the Proverbs I was referencing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Soothing tongue is a tree of life. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. So the reflection of what you and I ought to see is simply this. I'm going to be careful what I say. Words have power for life or death. I'm to speak in such a way to make life better for everybody who is around me. You ought to be the safest person in the room. That's not always true. We get up on the wrong side of the bed. All to walk correctly in Christ always. And I close with this. It means you'll stop lying. You'll speak the truth in love. You'll quit acting stupid in your anger and you'll get it under control. You'll quit stealing and you'll take care of yourself so you can share with those in need around you. And you quit tearing people down with your words and you build everyone up in life. Now maybe you understand that's why Paul hadn't dealt with family yet. He hadn't dealt with immorality yet. He hadn't dealt with work ethics yet. He hadn't dealt with anything because until our character is what it ought to be, nothing else will work. So my challenge to you today is walk good. You put on a new self. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you now have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. Lord, I pray that the message today sinks in because this is the very core. This is the core of what Christianity should look like as we live each day. Doesn't mean we don't struggle in all these areas because we come from the old life. We've learned some habits that were not good, but we need to break away from those. We have the power. We're not slaves to sin anymore, but we've been set free by the truth. And so, Father, help us to exhibit to demonstrate the very presence of Christ in all that we do, in the words we speak, in the control of our anger, in the hard work we put in life, and in the way we try to edify and lift people up. And in that, you will be glorified. And the grace that we have received will be experienced by those who walk in our presence. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.